everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion. I'm your host, Eddie V. Thank you guys for joining me. Welcome to the new season. Yes, you guys did not hear the theme song, but you will hear it in the next episode because I have a great topic, of course, if you read the title, but I have a very, very special guest. He is one of the crew members of Irrational Passion. Um, he also helps out doing the podcast input and many other things. Everybody, please, once again, welcome me, Mr. Jared Green. Hello, good hello. sir. Hello, 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 hello. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing very well. And if everybody could see uh, what today's topic is, we're going to be talking about why is Super Metroid considered as the a game of all time? Is it the number one ultimate game of all time? Who knows? So you presented this topic to me. Yes. And so I guess I want to know, Do you is this coming from a position where you don't believe it's the GOAT? I am coming to the position that I was thinking to do a past issue of Game Informer. And mm-hmm. they had this as the number one, like, top game of all time. Like, they, it, it may have changed, but they were just, like, out of, I think, out of 50, 150 games, uh, Super Metroid was considered as number one. Okay. So. So, the just in general. Yes. I think whenever someone makes an argument that a single game out of the 40-something year history of video games have existed... And that doesn't include the extra 20 years where, like, video games kind of were in a proto-stage before that. Someone, If someone believes a singular game is the best game ever made, I think they're always going to be wrong. It's like, that is not a... It's impossible to make an argument that one game is the greatest game of all time, I think. Uh, because lots of games are great for different reasons. Yes. Even games that we consider to be like head and shoulders great for particular reasons, there is no singular game unless you want to narrow down or further specify greatest at what or greatest in like sales, greatest in like cultural influence. Like it's a lot of these things are so abstract, it's impossible to say to lay down just one, right? Well, um, it's it's the thing about it is that. You know, I think there could be one game that could be the greatest of all time a GOAT. And the reason why I believe it is because it's it's something that not only is fundamentally that changed video game, um any genre or anything, it's 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 a blueprint it's a blueprint that everybody continues to stick to, continue to use, continue to be inspired from. And so it's it's influenced in you know the way that people just talk about it and go from there. Like I think it kind of makes it that the greatest of all time. Does this particular game does it? That's the question because I think when we look at just Metroidvania games in in general, a lot of it always goes back to Super Metroid. You know, everybody continues to look at that game as the forefront of being the number one game that they're going to use to design it. Um, And even if you look at open world games, some open world games are designed to be Metroid in a sense designed, um, but always have um, that open world feel to it. Sure. And I I think, but I think those are different conversations. Like I don't think being a keystone game, which is what I, a word I kind of like using, Mm-hmm. Makes I don't think being a keystone game makes you the greatest greatest of all time because I think you can make the the argument about influence for a lot of um, that is true and I think the influence of Metroidvania uh, Metroid Super Metroid specifically is is not even worth arguing like everyone it's in the name Metroidvania is in the name that's what we call these games like and we call them we call them Metroidvanias because of Super Metroid and it wasn't even the first game to do what Super Metroid does like Strider had been doing it too. But Super Metroid does it so much better, people forgot Strider did it. But see, like, but this is the problem with Strider. And this is the problem with Strider, in a sense. Um, Strider was an arcade game that had to be transformed in a different way in order to be what it is. Don't forget, Strider started as an arcade. And you could still play the original Strider on the Sega Genesis. Even though oh, yeah, that with, like, game... continues and, like, a completely linear area. Yeah. Right. So, Strider was a... Strider for the NES was a port or a changed version of the of the arcade version. If Strider would have came out... I think if Strider would have came out to the NES 
without having no arcade game behind it then i could then i could see that but because the arcade version was out there was no way to change it the the problem so i don't think super metroid exists in the form it exists without strider even though metroid is like super metroid isn't that big a jump from the first metroid Mm mm-hmm um, but you know, I would not put Strider on the list of greatest games of all time because it's just a worse Super Metroid, really. And it doesn't it's not as inspired as far as like pickups and like buffs, it's not as inspired as the way you backtrack and mm-hmm. the way you the, the power ups sort of enable you to backtrack, where Strider kinda you backtrack just because you have a key now, but you don't do anything different necessarily, where you know, Metroid like Samus got something new that changes the way she in like moves around her environment and that changes the way you interact with that area or interact interact with it. That was like a thing that never happened before and it's changed the way everybody thought about these things. But I would also say like Grand Theft Auto Three is a is a is a landmark keystone game because you can look at open world games before it and look at open world games after it and they all like they all look a whole lot like Grand Theft Auto Three after Grand Theft Auto Three came out. And, um, and I kinda talked about that because I feel like with Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto Three, because it was popular in people used that term for that genre, even though personally I feel like Ocarina of Time with that three D open world that it had, you know, it had its limits, but Ocarina of Time kind of set that foundation, kind of had that blueprint that once uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 um, took inspiration or kind of took that design and just made it their own by putting like the cops and you know, uh, different games and having licensed music and physics and stuff like that. Um, people and also use... being able to do things that aren't quest related. Like, yes. In Ocarina of Time, there's a lot of open world to explore, but everything's attached to something to do. It's not like Breath of the Wild, where they or Breath of the Wild is like Ocarina of Time, except you can just kind of meander and do whatever you want. In the same way Grand Theft Auto is. Like Grand Theft Auto allowed you to like you can literally just turn this game on, get in a car, and just drive around. And yeah. just find bullshit to do. That's not quest related at all. Even though you did have a mission to get to. It wasn't timed or anything, but you did have a mission to get to. But right. you, but it was so open that you were able to do more. Kinda and you can just almost, completely ignore it, right? And kind of almost like with Ocarina of Time, but yet, like I said, you were limited because you could go to different places or on Ocarina of Time, but you couldn't get to certain areas because you didn't have the right equipment at that time. And I would say, like Call of Duty Four, the first Modern Warfare, is probably a Keystone game. Like, no one, online multiplayer shooters look a whole lot like that game afterwards mm-hmm. uh, with, like, prestiging and online ranking, online sort of experience grinding and titles and all that kind of stuff. And that that was so prevalent, it expanded to other multiplayer games. Like, you didn't get that in fighting games until Modern Warfare 4. Well, now you have, like, title, like, you, you saw it in arcades in Japan a lot, but, like, yes. this didn't come to consoles until after long for a forum people realize like there is a there is an audience for people who just want to grind shit and like yeah. get new titles and new and new named plates and and all that kind of stuff like online grinding didn't look the same before that yeah. um and, and, you know I, I, and I, I would definitely put super metroid in that position i don't know that super like if we're if we're in as far as influence on a on the industry it's hard to use that as the only indicator as a greatest of all time because there are so many things that influence this industry that mm-hmm. may have influenced a game that's better. Like, there are better games than Super Metroid. It's, it's been 30 years since that game came out. There has to be better games, basically. Um, in fact, I would say most Metroidvanias are probably better than Super Metroid because they all play, they're all the same game, but with better graphics or with better uis or maybe more interesting skills like Mm -hmm. there are games that are worse than super metroid that have come out recently but there are definitely games that are better and who have taken other sort of genre keystones and applied them to this formula and turned it into a completely different thing too so Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to look back and like it's it's really easy for me to look back and say yes this game is clearly influential and clearly great and clearly important maybe it's one of the most important games of all time but is it the greatest of all time i don't know well it's I think I think with I think because Super Metroid had so much going for it, and you know I think I think parts of that game has so many historic moments and landmarks in it that people whether it's, it's I guess it's one of the things that people who are older who played that game who grew up with that game will feel like it's the 
feel like it's a go while modern players nowadays who probably maybe did pick up the super nintendo mini classic one maybe they did play super metroid and be like wow this was the game that you guys were like influenced to talk about you know definitely with the culture and the player base i think it, it kind of changes and it depends because some people might feel like you said modern warf modern warfare might actually be that game of the year, Grand Theft Auto 3 might be their greatest of all time. Not game of the year, sorry. May, might be their uh, greatest of all time. That is the set standard, that one game for the whole industry. But it's just like, no, there's been other games. Now, I probably I probably wouldn't say that Super Metroid is the greatest of all time. I probably, I will agree with you on that. Um, Do I think it should be? At times, I do. At, at times, I, I really do because I see why and how it influenced people and why, you know, it kind of represents a video game in a sense. Not, not probably not nowadays, but, you know, a game that had atmosphere, that had narrative, um, that had like designs and secret tricks in it that you don't need a cult for, that you really didn't think of, you know, boss battles and um, music and just like gameplay, the ending, fighting the way that you fought Mother Brain, you know, it, it had a lot going for you that people nowadays, like if you look at God of War, how people are talking like, oh, it's the best narrative in it. And it's just like, well, there's past games that had great narrative and you look at Super Metroid on how the narrative is told through there, you know, without using cinematics or words, it really kind of showcased how big that game was and why sometimes you don't need a game with all big cutscenes and uh, words. You just need to show the action that is going on with the screen and just let it play out. That's true. Um, I think in that way, we have to avoid trying to judge these things in their own bubbles like i try not to be an old head about this because there are plenty of games i played when i was younger that like i just have an affinity for and i i i have to i try to consciously like remind myself that the state in which i play particular games is not the same state someone 10 years younger than me will play this game yes even if i recommend it to them yes right like if i hand someone vagrant story they're not playing it as a 14-year-old kid like I played it in 1999 or something. Like, it's a different game for them because it's a different time right now. So I got to remember that. And other games have come out. Like, I got it. Like, that's the that's the most important thing I try. <laughs> I always, like, reinforce myself. Other fucking games have come out. So, like, <laughs> when I tell people, like, this game is, like, the best, I have to also remember that they've probably played games that came out in the past five years that I haven't even seen or heard of. And, like, they might actually be doing this better. So... I, I, you have to sort of temper your arguments when you make these things. I like I would never argue that Super Metroid doesn't belong on best games of all time lists because like, it clearly does for reasons you already mentioned. Like without having a multi million dollar budget, it tells a story in such an interesting and intriguing way, and it does so in this by while always by while also mixing like almost storytelling elements in the in the way you play the game, yes. like. In the same way that we like laud maybe like a Kojima for doing so, like where playing the game can actually tell you parts of the story that you couldn't get by just reading it or, or listening to it. Like you almost have to be the person to walk the door in order to get this piece of narrative or you would never get it. it and that's like such a that's a that's a lost art almost, I think, <laughs> in video game making. Yes. And that's when people start. That's when you make great arguments about how games were made in the past because they didn't have these things they lean on now. I want like I I. Like, I don't know that I could make the argument right now of a better game off the top of my head in every aspect than Super Metroid. But I think if I was given a week, I could probably find one. Well, the, um, I, I think the thing about it is, is for me, I think Nintendo alone continues to make the greatest of all times. I think they have enough in their franchises. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, like, uh, I think there's other games that's better or particular games uh combined or that's on a list that are the greatest of all time i think nintendo alone probably is the only company that can do that that have many games you know we look at super mario 64 on how that changed 
3D on how you play that and how it brought in the analog and rumble and how that affected the video game uh, industry and why you see companies now include that in their controllers or include that in their games and stuff. Um, we could even look at, uh, like I said, Ocarina of Time on how that changed with the lock-on menu. I mean, uh, the lock-on system, the Z-targeting, you know, you see that in a lot of games and stuff where I feel like someone like Rockstar, for example, I think out of all of them, I don't think Grand Theft Auto 3 is the greatest of all time. I don't think it really affected industry the way that Max Payne has. Um, So I'm going to stop you there because I agree Max Payne's a better game, like bar none. I think mm -hmm. Max Payne 3 is their best game. But I don't think there's even a I don't think there's a valuable argument and that says that by any real measure, like by any any tangible measure. Yes. Like I don't have to like Grand Theft Auto three to understand that it changed the way we play video games. It changed the way we market video games, it changed the way people sold video games and people bought video games. Like mm -hmm. that that as much as I would disagree that it's a it's their best game, it definitely by any objective measure is one of the greatest games of all time in every way you can do it. Like even that, and, but this is also a great example of a game that has been done better by now. Like even rockstar has done this game better four times, mm -hmm. but anyone who's made an open world crime game has probably done a better game than Grand Theft Auto but 3 in I, my I opinion. Think but, Grand, I, I think Grand Theft Auto 3 is a refinement of its arcade counterpart because who really was talking about anything Grand Theft Auto or played the originals. Original oh no! One. No one was playing the top-down Grand Theft Auto one and two, or the one in London where you're like running around with a taxi or a bat. Like no one, no one's playing those games. Right. I don't give a shit about those games. And, and so it, that's where it's just like, yeah, it, it kind of have like it had that foundation of going anywhere, but it was more arcadey. You was on a time limit. You was really driving a lot and stuff and following arrows. Um, but Rockstar Rail, D, uh, DMA. To design or DM design, DMA design, I think that was mm -hmm. it. Um, they changed on uh, their changed their perspective and how they went about the game, and I think they. It, to me, I still think they probably looked at Ocarina of Time, took that kind of design, it implemented it in their world, and changed some things and refined it. So when it got into the hands of a lot of players on the PlayStation Two during that era, it became a phenomenon. You know, mm -hmm. and and I can't that I can't argue. You know, I played the game on PC, and I could see why it's a phenomenon and stuff. But it was just like it, it's one of those games that I guess it's I want to say it's one of those franchises that even though the third one made it what it is and it inspired to well created a a sub genre of open world games that's like this, I still think it was because of Nintendo with ocarina time in order to have this happen because... oh, well yeah i think that's i don't think i don't think anyone would argue against that that like there's clear influence from you know mm. the the sort of original gangsters of video games who have who have been making strides and are like baby steps in these directions already yeah but nintendo would have never taken ocarina time in that direction um, and in fact, I don't think like I think that the another sort of complication and in, in, in trying to put your finger on a greatest of all time is that video games are so iterative or iterative. And there's so much passing the ball back and forth. Like you don't get Grand Theft Auto three without Ocarina of Time. Probably. I think you can probably draw a, a draw a line between them. And and, um, and I think you don't get to, I think for modern games, you don't get a lot of games without mixing genres. You know. Exactly, a hundred percent. Like, or or letting, or when someone takes a game and is like, "What would we do? How would we do that over here?" Like, you you don't get Breath of the Wild without S Skyrim, and you didn't yes. get Skyrim how you didn't get how Skyrim is now without Morrowind, which was like a complete reinvention of the Elder Scrolls at that point. Like, none of the, none of the games before Elder Scrolls Three look like this. But they took a risk in lots of big, in the same way Grand Theft Auto did. They took this big risk and decided to push this thing in a different direction. Yeah. And thanks to Ultima and Doom and all these other, and and Baldur's Gate, you get Morrowind. You know, you probably don't even get Skyrim without Fallout. 
when they did the same thing. Fallout Three looked at Fallout One and Two, and then mm-hmm. the uh, the the spinoffs, and were like, "What if we didn't do this? What if we what if we did Morrowind, but with Fallout, yeah, but with Guts? I agree. And I like, agree. and and watch letting people from different regions with different mindsets sort of one up each other is how you get this innovation. And it's impossible. Like, is Breath of the Wild a better game than Skyrim? Probably, but I wouldn't say that Skyrim is a greatest of all time video game because it was the inspiration for this other video game. Like there's a lot, I think there's a lot of context that makes this conversation difficult. I think, Um, I think with that, I think Sky, not Skyrim. I think Breath of the Wild is probably the best Zelda game where where Breath of the Wild, it didn't change the gaming industry. Um, I mean, it, I think it, so. I think that's still that's still to be seen. I don't, I don't think it's been out. It's only been what? It's only like two years old, yeah. ish. Like I don't. I think there's still time to see what it has done to the game industry. Well, it, well, I see, and that's I feel like because you mentioned Skyrim, and I think, uh, and you know, Morrowind and stuff, and I could say Skyrim probably is a big game changer for the genre than it is than breath of the wild is i think breath of the wild kind of changed the output on how the zelda franchise to go in the future but that's about it you know it did it 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 had mechanics though that did influence people to be like i want to i want to have a climbing uh i want to be able to climb anywhere you know a climbing mechanic that's been in tons of games and stuff now people at when after Breath of the Wild came out, they wanted more of that because they they couldn't believe on how well on how well it worked in Breath of the Wild. And yeah, Breath of the Wild is a mixture of different genres and different games and ideas that made it. I think with Super Metroid though, is that it had its own formula. It had it to me personally. I don't think it had nothing to do with Strider. Like I said, I think it had this template with Metroid and maybe Metroid two. And then they were just like, we need to kind of evolve somewhat. refine this and evolve it and just be able to make a game. That's going to be, uh, explorative. That's going to be like a venture. That's going to make you like think and really use the power of the super Nintendo graphics chip and stuff like that. I think they really got down to it and thought about it. Uh, with Super Metroid for it to be considered what some people say uh, could see as a GOAT. You know, it may be... It, now, I will say this. I think, and you probably mentioned it, uh, Jerry, uh, Jared, that a personal GOAT is different than an industry GOAT. Where, where the industry GOAT is that one game, and this is just me uh, defining this, is that one game that kind of defines the video game industry um i think throughout years i i throughout years it may be a mario game or it may be super metroid for some people it may even be the legend of zelda there's one particular game in one of those three franchises that's that may be the goat uh, but that's still a personal one um i don't think and i agree with you i don't think we have that one goat that kind of represents the industry in its fullness. I think it's impossible to, right? Because mm-hmm. the industry, this is such a weird business and it's a weird art form. Like it's one of those things where those things are so intertwined. Like what is valuable and what is greatest is so entwined in both creative vision and like commercial success. Like you can say like, if I, you know, you can't make the argument and they find these sort of, you can make this extension argument for anyone, mm-hmm. for any art form, but like if someone who had never played a video game before wanted to know everything about video games in a single game, it'd be impossible to do the same way. It was like, I can't hand an alien, like a play, one play that, that, that defines all plays or one book that that's, that's the book you have to read because that means different things, to different people, like, and different time periods. Like if I had to give some person one game that defines the games industry today in 2019, it'd be Fortnite probably. And like, that doesn't, Fortnite is not an artistic expression. It's not the most artistic expression of video games. It's not the best shooter ever made. It's not the best multiplayer game ever made. Mm-hmm. But it just so happens that there's a lot of things that are that are working outside of the actual creative mechanisms that make that can, game what it is. Can I like actually, it, that it's free and then kids are showing up and then that's all you need really. Can I actually tell you that 
I wouldn't say Fortnite. I would actually say Super Mario Maker or Mario Maker 2. Not And not even Minecraft. I wouldn't even say Minecraft. I think Mario Maker is because if we want to talk about the video game industry, level design. That's what video games pretty much is. It's all about design. And with Mario Maker, you have to design a level. You have to play test stuff. You have to see what is broken. And what works and what's creative and what's going to keep you going and wanting to play. And I think Mario Maker and Mario Maker 2 gives you that example. Now, it doesn't represent different genres, but it kind of represents on what it takes to make a game in this in, for the games industry. And, you know, a lot of people are creative and there are some people who are not creative. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't say that you're a bad creator in anything it's just that you you are you kind of see what creativity does when people really put their time in their mind and and, and think about love design and, and physics and artwork and stuff or just to make a level whether you're gonna love it or you're gonna trash it and stuff because you know mario maker is that kind of to me personally is that representation you could someone could throw up a level up and it could be hard or it could be easy and there's going to be multiple people reviewing or giving their opinion about it and they bear they could love your level or trash it and that's kind of a representation of the video game industry you know we look at a game and we're going to speak our minds about fair but i think if you think about it as a whole, like how many things intersect Fortnite, right? Mm -hmm. The business intersects Fortnite. Yes. The microtransactions are, are the leading sort of way to make money in the video games industry today. Yes. Like Activision made most of its profits last year on microtransactions. And Activision's the biggest business, is the business developer in our business next to maybe, I guess Epic might be now, um, because literally just Fortnite. Streamers, and the entire idea of video game streaming intersects with Fortnite because it's the most popular, one of the most popular games on mm -hmm. Twitch ever. It's so popular that it's turned people who are streamers into what we would consider like almost real deal celebrities. Yeah. Like Ninja is on the cover, was on the cover of an ESPN magazine, which is something that's never happened for a video game before. There are probably more skilled, more talented, better video game stories to tell in competitive video games than Ninja's. But he's the one that made it on the cover. Because yeah. he's the most popular. E3 has changed its entire design around how can we put on a giant Fortnite show in the middle of the ceremony. Or in the middle of the convention because they don't know what to do with the rest of the convention because the convention is kind of a dying breed at this point. There are celebrities who have made normal publicity stunts in Fortnite. Drake played Fortnite with someone and that became like part of the news cycle. There are people who put on concerts in Fortnite. Weezer had a concert in Fortnite. Doesn't make any sense. I don't even know what that means. Like, do you log into Fortnite and watch video game Weezer play instruments? Yes, that's what, the, that's what you do. That's, like, weird. And that affects so much of non-video game culture mm -hmm. that it's almost impossible. Like, it's such a monolith that you can't, like, you can't talk about it. And as I think Mario Maker is a great example of the rigors of making a video game, if that's what you want to teach someone, like, what is Start to Finish making a video game look like in 2019? That is a good answer. Um, and again, that becomes a problem. Like, there is no better answer between us in this particular argument. Like, you can probably make another example of some other game. Because well, well, there's, there's so much about this industry that can be defined that that can't be defined in just one place. Well, at, at one point, Final Fantasy Seven was the greatest of all time it was that one game and you know of... what final fantasy 7 is a great example because is i don't even think final fantasy 7 is the best final fantasy up until that point but it's the one everyone played it's kind of like like i don't believe skyrim was the best elder scrolls game up until mm -hmm. that point but that doesn't make skyrim less important and yes. actually probably make skyrim's probably more important than the better games because that's the one everyone wanted to play so that means lots of people who never played rpgs in that way before played Skyrim and for whatever reason be it because it's just more approachable because of the theme and the setting whatever but those there are a lot of people who got interest in that that then used that sort of 
wave of interest to then push other things. Like there are people who never played an RPG up until that point, played Skyrim and started designing games right after that. Yeah. And now they're influenced by Skyrim. The same thing happened in Final Fantasy VII. You know, the rest of the PS2 eras or the PlayStation 1 and PS and probably part of the PS2 era's um, RPGs without Final Fantasy VII because a lot of people went to, like, played that game and then immediately was like, I'm going to make games because of this. This is this is my game. Um, and, 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 like... Even be to me personally, even before Final Fantasy VII, like as a kid, without even realizing, like Ninja got on on NES with his cutscenes. Like we didn't know what to call it. We didn't know that games could be connected. Yeah, by we had shows. no idea. Right. By, yeah, by like watching it, movies in the middle of your game. Yeah. Right. Like like the the sliding, the music, the words, the faders and fade outs, and as a kid, you don't think about that. Like th- there was something about. Ninja Gaiden or NES that was just like if you show this to an American movie producer or or a film star or whatever they probably would have been like oh they're doing shots that you would see in the movie this is in a video game but no one really like talks about that or recognizes that you know Final Fantasy 7 because of all of his cutscenes besides the drama that they had with Nintendo and everything besides all of that you know, Final Fantasy VII had more going for it than just its cutscenes and its music. It was actually making you pay attention to a theme in the video game. You know, video- it's also super approachable. Like, yeah. it's a way more approachable RPG than Final Fantasy VI, where there's like triple the characters and everyone does one specific thing, and then in the middle of the game, that game changes like drastically. Yes, and you go find them all again, and then there's equipping summons that change your ability, like. There's so much about that game that you couldn't introduce to someone before Final Fantasy VII. Like Final Fantasy VII was like, yo, you have like six dudes, mm-hmm. maybe maybe eight if you want to get diligent, and there's materia and there's limit breaks and there's summons, but they're just big ass spells. Like everything was straight. It was streamlined. It looked more modern. It looked yes. like something an American would be interested in. Sometimes approachability is more important than, like, grand artistic vision. And yeah. I think Final Fantasy VII is important in that way. And I think that's another sort of wrinkle in the greatest of all time conversation. Like, Which which uh, which Chrono Trigger then comes into the conversation. Because you can't... Chrono Trigger New Game Plus alone changed on how you get replay value out of a game. It's not Grand Theft Auto beating it and doing crazy stuff in the world. It was that new game, uh, that new game plus the work that you put into that game, being able to, you know, make you feel like you're speed running through a game and carry over and make you get stronger. Uh, even though and and like even doing a side quest that you miss with your new game plus because you're not well prepared for it, you know what to do. That was that was something that wasn't done or like you can't believe that still in this day that that little thing that new game plus is still affected and used in modern games today even some indie games of course we yeah didn't, of course we didn't get that in super metroid but it was just like that little new game plus which is something that you know now it becomes now chrono trigger becomes part of the game of uh, the goat uh, discussion and is it that you know so I think Chrono Trigger is one of those conversations that I think as far like Chrono Trigger is a, a good example of like how a single game can go different directions like yes. what do we like about this game because there's plenty of that game that's that doesn't hold up but there's plenty of that game that does and it's like are we looking for complete packages to be considered greatest of all time games with like no weaknesses or games with such strong strengths that we can ignore the weaknesses, the weaknesses. Because Crown Trigger is one of those games where we love the time travel. We love how the time travel informs the game. Plus, we love how it informs the way you can travel. You can play that game like seven different ways just yes. because. It's like a billion endings like based on tiny things that you may or may not do throughout the gameplay. You can, mm-hmm. you can play it as quickly or as slowly as you want. Lots of optional characters to meet and have join you. But it's also a game that has like a super convoluted combat system that doesn't work the way it should work. Um, and lots of mini games that are so sort of that feel so time wasty and grindy and, and, and such a, a thing that's in a time and place. Like people made video games that way then and they don't anymore for particular reasons. Mm-hmm. And that game 
feels like a game made like the early 90s for better and worse so it's like it was it was something that was weird for square soft to do at that time because you had people from the final fantasy team and from the dragon quest team uh from a whole yeah, different like collab team. for the first time maybe right and actually show what this it's the nintendo microsoft thing of today that mm-hmm. something you would never expect it competing companies coming together to make something great and grand and just look how look how timeless it is you know and i think that that timeless may be one of the things that may be the reason people are calling super metroid a goat personally for them maybe the industry some people in the industry or maybe the industry as a whole want to see super metroid as a goat because it feels timeless you know it feels like you could still pop that game in and get worked into it you know whether you want to see all the way through or see it at see it as far as you can as as you want to and just come back you know whatever i don't think Final Fantasy 7 and Grand Theft Auto 3, they could feel timeless, but it feels timeless for the modern age. For people in that era who were gaming, who probably didn't even look at retro games or Super or Nintendo games at that at that matter, probably hopped in into the PlayStation 1 era and PlayStation 2 era, and when they played those games and, and you know, got the memories and stuff on it, those memories might make them feel like those games are timeless to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes just being able to play a game um, now without and not seeing the friction of a game made, mm-hmm. you know, a decades prior is like a great definition of timeless. Now I haven't played Super Metroid in probably 10 years. I don't know if that's true or Super Metroid, but it might be like, I don't know that there's anything about that. I can remember about Super Metroid that, I mean, besides maybe like the speed in which you walk, like mm-hmm. kind of how screens load, like there's definitely archaic parts of Metroid that are hard to sort of ignore but i don't know how i don't know how hard that affects a game when you're playing it now right like i think maybe like like mega man 3 is an old game it feels like an old game looks like an old game but i don't think mega man 3 i think mega man 3 holds up because when it was made it was made with limited it it, it was made perfectly around its limitations yes and there's lots of things that you know have been innovated on since but it works in its field in, in its space so well that you can't you don't have to innovate around it like it has like the way that game feels hasn't you have it hasn't been sort of hasn't been innovated out of like i haven't played a game that makes me feel like Met- like mega man 3 feels bad necessarily it feels old but doesn't feel bad can i say that mega man 3 is probably the only game that had that is that goes that is versus is uh the game that came before it like, I think Mega Man 3 versus Mega Man 2 or vice versa is the only game that has that discussion and argument. I don't think there there's there's never been another game that could have that could hold it to that argument till today. There's no way that you could say, oh, well, Modern Warfare versus Modern Warfare 2. Of course, people are going to pick Modern Warfare 2 because it offered more. It was an improvement. And like if you look at modern warfare 2 they got the controversy it caused with the airport mission and Uh bajillion that is so so like that's no discussion but yet mega man 2 versus mega man 3 is still an ongoing discussion of today well i feel people people do have the discussion maybe not well it doesn't happen often right it doesn't happen often where the where the sequel is worse in, in, in significant ways than the prequel than the one before it. Yes, and that, that doesn't that doesn't isn't ultimately a better game in many ways than the one before. It. There are plenty of um, sequels that are maybe not as inspired and like feel maybe like not all not all that necessary, mm-hmm. but maybe not bad. Like maybe Saints Row Four doesn't feel necessary next to Saints Row Saints Row Three. Right. I don't know that that makes Saints Row Four bad, but it's like why is this game here? when I could just play Saints Row 3. But I think there are plenty of people, especially in Call of Duty, who are like, Black, Black Ops 2 is the best Call of Duty, and the ones after that were not necessary. Or, like, Black Ops 3 is not better than Black Ops 2. I'm not necessarily, like, all that locked into the Call of Duty conversation, mm-hmm. but I do know people love the shit out of Call of Black Ops 2. Um, and I guess for now, but they, like... But 
every game is not that has not that was not Black Ops Two, like Ghosts, Modern Warfare Three, like anything that wasn't Black Ops Two was not it, um, or at least has people like feeling and and wishing for those times back. Yeah. Um, and well, Call of Duty. I think the discussion with them is it became Call of Duty versus Battlefield, and it was kind of the which game do you prefer? Uh, with it, you know, I I think they both were, were able to coexist. Um, I think both of them have their problems, um, but both both of them do something successful that each you know that each of them can stand on their own. Um, with, within that franchise and stuff. Um, but I don't think I don't think there's anything in Battlefield that you would say one game in the Battlefield series versus another Battlefield game. Uh, in the series, you know, like still, like still to this day, if I had to kind of look at Battlefield, I would kind of just laugh at Battlefield in a sense because of how good Medal of Honor Frontline was. Somewhat level design, but like from soundtrack and some of the guns that that you that you use in that game, like there was something about Medal of Honor Frontline that kind of helped people get into EA first person shooters. And I think that one is, I think, in a sense, that one kind of still holds up. You know, if I had to say a game that kind of took down Medal of Honor front lines, I would probably say, like, Army of Two, the second game. Like, Army mm-hmm. of Two, the second game, was a great game. I would put that against, like, maybe something like Gears of War. Uh, probably Gears of War Two, I would put it up against. Those are two different franchises. And different ecosystems, too, yeah. like... Army of Two works because I think it worked the way it did, especially, you know, the popularity of the first one, mm-hmm. because you could only play Gears of War on Xbox. Yeah. If Gears of War was like a multi console thing, I don't think Gears of I don't think Army of Two is necessary. Um but sometimes like, you know, another context is like if it's not on this if it's not in your ecosystem, then it's not important to you. The like for the like Dauntless, for example, was a lot of its promise was that it was going to come to systems that monster hunter wasn't going to come to it was going to be a monster hunter experience for people who didn't have like the handhelds that monster hunter was on yeah and then monster hunter world happened they're like well, we're gonna be on everything and they're and then Dawn was like fuck <laughs> and it kind of changed like the landscape well, for them but but sometimes just world having was, a... monster hunter world was coming to certain consoles and not nintendo because yeah. nintendo had a different form of Monster Hunter. But, it, but Nintendo, for a long time, was the only place you could play Monster Hunter. For almost, like, I want to say, like, the better half of the last decade, you could only play Monster Hunter on the 3DS. And, like, if you had mm. the Wii the, the Wii version, um, and there was, like, a weird PC version from Japan. But Which is weird after because, the la- like... After the last PSP one, you couldn't play Monster Hunter on Sony console. Right, but um, because I don't think, I, and I'm gonna have to look up the history of Monster Hunter. I think Monster Hunter started on PlayStation Two. I Monster think. Hunter started. It was the first Monster Hunter was a PlayStation Two game, and it was ported to the Vita like right after it launched. Or not the Vita, the PSP. PSP. And then the second game came out on PS2 and PSP. And once there was a point where Capcom basically split a bunch of their franchises between like consoles that were ex like microsoft and sony consoles mm-hmm. and nintendo consoles and nintendo got Ultimate monster 3. hunter basically and then something else I, I don't remember another capcom thing that was like om- that was not exclusive but like mostly showed up just in nintendo stuff well i, I know i think monster hunter to me i think when monster hunter popped off for me was i had it for the week so monster hunter ultimate 3 i think it was yeah um, it did, and I think that one got ported to Wii U. Uh, it, I think that one got ported to Wii U. There was a MMO ish like Monster yeah. Hunter Try that mm-hmm. was also on the Wii, and Monster Hunter Three Ultimate and Four Ultimate, and then the last one, Generations, were yes. all on 3DS. Yes, um, before Generations with the Switch, but it was Monster Hunter for some unknown reason. Monster Hunter Four. I think, and I think it was because Monster Hunter 4 and Fire Emblem Awakening were happening on 3DS. And honest, 
no, not 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 Fire Emblem Awakening. I think it was Legend of Zelda. I think I think it was a Zelda game. It might have been Awakening or Zelda, but whatever Monster Hunter Four, because like Monster Hunter Four, like you would not expect anyone to like hurry up and go to Best Buy or anything and literally buy that Monster Hunter Four uh, 3DS. And that oh, game Monster Hunter was a like, was a system seller for the for the 3DS, especially the last generations like sold like well yes. for for a, not even just for a mobile game or for a uh, portable game but like for any game but it was weird it was so weird on how monster hunter was such a niche game that like nobody thought about yeah, or for, cared about forever yeah and then it comes out and it was just like wait what the heck how did this game sell a bajillion copies like that and i think it was the wave it was it was a weird wave of of games happening like fire emblem awakening kind of we got everybody into the fire emblems uh franchise monster hunter 4 was the way that people got into the monster hunter franchise square so- square soft or square Enix at the time couldn't believe how bravely default like pretty much funded their whole company because it 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 sold up with when final fantasy 13 made them lose a lot of money because really i mean they did their sales but nobody really was talking about it bravely default just like the day it came out blew not records but it just surprised square soft square enix to be like we sold this many copies and we're well, it's still weird when making like it. when everyone tells you like we want a particular sort of game and then they finally make it mm-hmm. and then people go buy it like like people didn't buy it. i mean so to be fair final fantasy 13 Final Fantasy did pretty well eventually um not out the gates but eventually but people were coiled because like nobody wanted that game and they spent millions of dollars making this shit that nobody wanted and they had to spend like three or four years after the game came out convince people that they wanted it <laughs> like that's not if you just do what people tell you to do and people but people tell you they will buy then it's it's almost like they'll buy it like people wanted like a game that was like a modern ish version of a game they played 15 years ago and they're like oh, we don't want to do that and then they finally did it and people bought it so like, it's like hmm, it's weird it's weird how that works yeah when the consumer's like, yo, make this fucking game and we'll buy it <laughs> for whatever price you want to sell it for. And they finally do. And and that's why in uh, we're getting close to the end. Um, I think that's why people were just like, you know, looking at EA talking about how they they feel like their games won't sell on a Nintendo console. I'm just like, well, it's because you guys never try. You make the assumption, take it as it is. You already got a bad pr- business practice, which affects any gamer on all consoles. So, regardless if you feel like your stuff is not going to sell, you you didn't even give it a chance. Where you where if you put something on another console that's going to fail, they'll still they'll still continue to support it, and it'll still fail. In a sense, where, I think for them, it's more like they don't want to make a version of this game mm-hmm. that will run on a console that may not have the specs which i don't know if that's true anymore for the switch but for a while they had to make a different like a whole different build of the games and it, then they weren't selling so i can see where they get this idea from mm-hmm. i don't know if that idea is still the truth anymore I, but I, I can see where it starts but i think it was just like this is the thing with ea in a sense in in this particular manner ea had a chance to be like Bethesda, and don't forget Bethesda wasn't a big studio. Really, not not really many people were caring about Bethesda in a sense, like they care about them now, you know. And they weren't publishing games, so like they were really just putting out what they made, and then no one, and that was it. Like and, now they're kind of in the publishing business, so it's different for them. But right, and it was just, and they were. Sh- I think Bethesda was kind of shocked to see. Yeah, you know, yeah, of course, the you know they got a porter company to do their games. But then they started to see how Skyrim was rolling in the money, how Doom was rolling in the money, how Wolfenstein 2 was rolling in the money. Like, Bethesda cannot say that be, it, if it wasn't for Nintendo Switch, we wouldn't get the hashtag that gamers are giving. Like, who? Like, when Doom even came out, nobody was hashtagging Doom to get to a million. And then Well, I think see, Doom... Okay. What's weird about Doom is that I don't think anyone expected Doom to be good. 
Mm-hmm. And it turned out Doom ended up being great. Yes. You know, I think part, I think that's part of this. Like, the Doom story is a, a unique situation. I think what, especially, I think where Nintendo really shines, which is why they don't even need places like EA, mm-hmm. is that they have become the place for people who don't have PCs to play all that sweet indie shit. Because they are doing what Sony did the first two years of the PS4, but like forever. So if you didn't play Slay the Spire on PC two years ago, well... Now you've introduced these people to a whole new thing, and it's only 20 bucks. People are spending, like, you don't necessarily need Mass Effect or anything on the Switch anymore. You can just kind of do this. And that Nintendo kind of has has been very aware of that Mm -hmm. is very savvy on their part, because I think in the past they haven't been. Um, They're reacting very well to this now. Well, it's not even that Nintendo was savvy. I think, personally, I feel like Nintendo was saving everybody's tail from going out of business like you cannot you cannot deny that and like i mentioned Bravely default like how many square in this games were really keeping square afloat like really keeping them happy um not many like when it was they said they were disappointed with the sales of the tomb raider reboot and they sold like what five or four or three million or something like that and yet they were disappointed and it was just like wait you sold this game on two consoles and you're disappointed with selling a million and i wonder i think a lot of that is square like has no idea what like what realistic goals are when mm -hmm. it comes to these things yes and i i think it's 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 i think it's very important to recognize bravely default as a great example of sort of letting the sort of nintendo way of thinking Mm -hmm. guide a project to success yes i don't know that it's the only reason square has been working from now for for these past couple years i think part of it is like final fantasy 15 is finally out (laughs) and like kingdom hearts finally came out like all these things that like have been weighing them down for 10 years or so have are finished and people bought them and like bravely default didn't do the best but they like square like kind of taking their hands off the wheel and letting nintendo drive a little bit Mm -hmm. has absolutely helped them like porting their things to switches like people want to buy these old fucking video games they want to buy final fantasy 9 again they want to buy final fantasy 10 again and put and, them on the put them on the switch and, and people will have, buy them and, and 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 i think that's why and you know when we, when we talk about the Wii, I'm sorry everybody if we feel like it just feel like this is off topic but i think that's why people feel like with the wii u is that third party didn't give that system a chance so if people want to call it a failure, go ahead and call it. But it was just like you didn't. I think that was the thing about that era that you were even willing to give the system a try, and you're failing on other systems because your studios are closed. It, it felt like like just even reading that story about how Cooking Mama saved uh that one developer, that one publisher. Um, I cannot. I think it's not XC, but it was some company that Cooking Mama saved, them. and it was just like when you could put a game out on PlayStation Three and it has all these graphics that you think it's going to sell and it tanks your company but then you put something like cooking mama on 3ds even though you set it up 20 bucks and it saves you and it, and it always felt like nintendo was saving everybody and in fact like in in a sense now nintendo like saved japan in a sense like if like platinum wouldn't have the love and care that they had if they didn't work the bayonetta 2 didn't come out on on uh wii u who was looking at platinum game you know sega really i think sega was even even in a sense it felt like sega didn't even want to give platinum a chance but they did they you know and you know the success of bayonetta 2 and the hype and love and you know, the nomination of Game of the Year that it got in the awards that people were praising it with for the time that it came out. That's how you got Transformers. That's how you get it now, Astro Chain, and that people were looking forward to more of Platinum games. And like, I think it helped. I think it definitely saved Platinum. Yeah. Um, but I think Jap- Japanese games have are in a rebound for more than just Nintendo. I think Capcom has done the most for Japanese games this year, at least. Um, <laughs> coming off of a year where they did like the least for Japanese games, yeah. But like Resident Evil Two remake, 
and Devil May Cry and Monster Hunter in, in, in a 16 month span have been record sellers for Capcom and like record like all time record so and nobody was checking on capcom after street fighter 5 they were like whatever Pretty <laughs> man much. well there was a, there was a yeah i agree and there, well there was a lot of stuff that capcom was still relying on that they just weren't capcom and konami were in the same boat that they weren't doing they weren't known for what they were back in the day and when konami had its situation with kojima you know it put a bad light on konami but then you look at Bomberman on switch and how that exploded you know you even like look at like i was i've been talking to people about how sega is having a resurgence and sega and for a long time Luckily, they're still uh, still around. They wouldn't be getting the love that they're getting now. You know, of course, like the Sonic games, whatever. But I'm just like, Panzer Dragoon, folks lost their mind when they remake got announced at E3. Streets of Rage 4, people are down with it. Now that we know that the original composers, all these composers are making the soundtrack, people now are guaranteed to buy that game. You know, um, super even Super Monkey Ball people are excited for. Like Sega is getting like their energy back, and the Sega because look, even Fantasy Star Online Episode Two coming on Xbox got folks hyped, and you would not see this energy and this love and praise going to Sega if they weren't doing the stuff that they were doing. In and I think, and I think that's accurate. I think the the switch gives them the scale that they're comfortable with doing mm-hmm. these things in. I think part of the reason you don't see these, you didn't see these big games before because no one wants to go through the process of putting them on a big console because it requires almost a big budget yeah. and licensing fees and development time. And the switch is really easy to develop for. You can kind of make a game at whatever scale you want because it's both a, it's a sit down home console. And also like, if you want to just be a, a portable thing, you can do that too. And you don't have to necessarily live up to any particular expectation when it comes to it. You can do whatever you want. And that's given places like Sega an opportunity to like, think about these things in various different levels and not just the one big this is work on triple a level right because switch is like the only console in my opinion right now that everybody wants physical or most people want physical you know the option of digital is there and people care for it but just like when you talk about digital sales or doing people going digital it's more for ps4 and xbox and maybe and of course pc but like people will wait months to get a, a physical copy, people will pay the money that no limit game, not low, no limit games, no limited run games, and Nicholas and any other publisher who are taking indie games and making them into physical versions. People are willing to pay the forty dollars plus. You know they don't care about the ten dollar Nintendo tax anymore. They're just like, if I could get this game in physical form. I'm going to get it, which helps the indie developer be able to make more games and better games. Like I, I brought, I brought, uh, uh, uh goodness, I cannot think of it. I'm sorry, I apologize, everybody. I always talk about this game. It's a Metrovania game. Um, that one guy did. Uh, uh, she has um, Iconoclast. That's what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Iconoclast. I bought the digital version on PS4. Nobody really didn't give no love. But then when I see No Limited Run do a physical, I was just like, I'm not buying it digitally on uh, on uh, on Switch. I literally went to my computer and did the pre-order for that game. You know, I think if if Nintendo was to do a re-release right now of Super Metroid with a as with some goodies in it, do you know how bonkers the uh, internet would be? Yeah, I think people would be bonkers for it. I think Nintendo what what they've always done mm-hmm. is turn is has commoditized Nintendoness. Yes. Like and you know, look no further than the amiibo. People just want them. They don't need them. Like very rarely does an amiibo do anything for a game that makes it valuable necessarily. It is like fucking action figures. like figures. Not even action figures. Just little things they can buy and I have in their hand and put on the shelf. Yeah. They they Nintendo is very good at like making things that feel good physically that you kind of want to have physically. And like you said, that plays so well into like the sort of indie nostalgia loop that we live in now. Like, I'm almost surprised there is no Super Metroid like re thing on on the horizon. 
but I guess as a as a weird attempt to come back to the actual conversation, <laughs> um, I, I guess in closing, yeah, that game's a goat. Do I think it's the goat? No, I think the goat is a hard conversation to have. I think a goat is an easy conversation to have. Yes. So, um, yeah, and I think it's it's more of that's why, and I think that's why I titled it. Why do we consider it as a greatest of all time? And I think it's the conversation for many people of how it it kind of just, I guess, like I said, it's a timeless game and how it affected the video game culture and uh, genre of games and stuff. I do agree with you to, to have a discussion about, uh, I think there's more games that are considered the greatest of all time. Um, that that really influenced and kind of you look at and you pinpoint why it is and what it led up to. Um, I and I agree with you. I don't think Super Metroid is the greatest of all time. I think it is one of it, one of them, and I think still to this very day it will always be. You know. Yeah, I think it's hard to remove that from like remove its legacy, right? Like it's it's impossible at this point. Whenever anyone makes another Dead Cells or mm-hmm. whatever, because they're going to keep coming out. You know, whenever anyone makes one of those, it, they have a piece of that game in it. And so long as we all remember that that's that that's where it came from, then it'll always be important. I think the 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 problem, and I guess the danger, is that as a person who doesn't want to be an old head about shit, um, I also don't want people to forget. It's very like I I fear that there's going to be no one talking about and on behalf of games like metroid or super metroid in 10 years um because the people who are in our position now when we move on will not have been influenced by these things and may not be reading people or listening to people or interacting and have people in their circles who have so no one's telling them about this game like so this game could vanish like you see in music all the time like people forget where you know inspirations can come from and then you have weird situations where people don't know who like paul mccartney is when kanye puts him on a record yeah and they're like uh, and and that's that sounds ridiculous to me but i can see how that doesn't sound ridiculous to someone who's 16 because what do they know about the beatles unless someone told them about the beatles but they're not around anymore no one's no one's out here checking up on paul mccartney no one cares, and if, and if nobody cares, and no one will ever care, and that's and that's that's my fear. It was uh, Stranger Things. I think Stranger Things three, when they went into the red room to develop pictures, and people were just like, "They're like, what is this room? Yeah, what is this mysterious thing?" Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, "Wait, what? Y'all never heard?" And I'm just like, "Gotcha. I forgot the the age that you guys, the era that you guys are in, the generation you are. There's a lot of stuff in the past that you don't." And like with Met- and with Super Metroid, I think it's like that's just kind of a curiosity thing. Mm-hmm. But just literally no no reason for a kid to even know what a photo room is. Like yes, that is true. They would never have to know. And like I don't blame them, but like it sucks. And well, I can't say this, and uh, we'll get to the end of in the show. Um, I can't say I think that's why I think the power of Wind Waker HD before that came out, or even even a little bit with Breath of the Breath of the Wild. I would just seeing people getting their kids into the Zelda series by having them play those games to understand why, you know, the games that we played in the past, why they are, why we consider them game of the uh, game of all time, or why we consider them timeless classics and stuff, why we look at Super Metroid and have that opinion and viewpoint about that game is because it was something that we had to that we had to play, that we had to adjust to, and for a lot of us, wasn't holding our hand like modern games do today. And I think when kids and, like, even other gamers for the first time, when they're playing these past retro games and they're making progress, you could equal that up to what it feels to play, like, a, a Souls game and stuff. You know, it's difficult and it's challenging, but if you use the mechanics that are given to you and you're willing to, you know, never give up and feel like you can do it, give it one more try, take a rest sometime, come back to the game and like really go in and focus and stuff, you understand why people see the value and the and why that game is worthy and how people feel about it. 
and stuff. You appreciate there's a level of appreciation there more yeah, than some and advocacy is like it's up to the people to to make this convincing to these to the to people who don't know right like yes i i would never want to just like force someone to play some old shit because i think it's cool like i kind of want you to just be interested in it mm-hmm. it'd be my job to convince you that it's interesting yes and that's like the real value of of advocacy i don't want to make someone feel like i'm making them i don't want to you don't want it to feel like homework right you want them to enjoy doing this yes um and I feel like maybe that's always been an argument. That's always been like a real relationship between like people who have kids now and they're like, oh, how do I get my kids into playing games? <laughs> do I get them to play the games I played? Like, I don't know, maybe, but like maybe just let them play whatever. And then you convince them that your games are cool to shit too. Like, yeah. So everybody, um, that is our conversation. Uh, I want to thank Jared Green for coming on the show. Jared, go ahead and plug. Tell them about Irrational Passion and more. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a place you go for. Now I guess all we really do is like podcasts, but <laughs> it's a good little internet site full of full of good old boys and girls trying to trying to make it in the world. You know, trying to trying to rise up together as a unit. Yes. Where, where can they find the site at? Um, so your best bet, you know, open up the old uh, web browser. You still have those. <laughs> um, type in the website, rationalpassions.com. Though I would suggest even better, just go to Twitter and follow site on Twitter, at IrrationalPod. Um, that's, there you'll find at any any speaking to the people, any direct addresses will be coming from there. Also, memes. Well, okay, awesome. Um, and you guys can find me on Twitter at that retro. I want to hear what you guys think. Do you feel like Super Metroid is the greatest of all time? Is there a game that you personally feel is the greatest of all time, or maybe even a representation of the video game industry? You guys can email the show at myop2comment at yahoo.com. You can also check out more uh, um, more of Optional Opinion on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and other podcast apps. Um, yeah, and uh, really, hopefully, you guys uh, will look forward to next month as the Beauty of Video Games Volume 5 goes live, feeling villainous. So, <laughs> I was going to say, does this, this include real villains? Mm-hmm, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to uh, dive into it. Uh, Jared, once again, thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, really enjoyed having you on, having this discussion. Uh, you came, you came with it. <laughs> I, so. listen, I told you, <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> so we will see you guys next time. Uh, welcome to the new season of Optional Opinion. With that, everybody, <laughs> have a great week, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time on Optional Opinion. Bye, everybody.